Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Welcome. We're in Exodus chapter 15. We're going to be starting with verse 22 here in a minute. As God graciously provides for his children. Let me ask you, you need to be careful what you ask for. Has anyone ever told you that? Be careful what you ask for. Or let me ask this. Have you ever gotten what you've asked for and then wound up being dissatisfied? Happens all the time. But then I want to take a moment and I want to talk about something that's very important. Uh, You haven't seen it in the news lately. Um, You haven't seen it on social media so much. Um, It's not something probably your neighbors are talking about, but I want to talk about the important topic of chocolate cake. Chocolate cake. Dawn and I, for about six months, have been having a hankering for chocolate cake. Now, I don't know what it is, but there's something about chocolate cake that makes it the grand dessert. Would you agree with me or disagree? Okay. I mean, there's just something about, especially a cake that's just filled with chocolate and then put it in the refrigerator for a little while and let that chocolate even kind of get a hard shell. There's just something about it. By the way, chocolate cake is the only food that I will eat as a leftover for the next day. Well, Dawn and I have had a hankering for it. And you know how it is. If you have a hankering for something, what's going to happen? You're not going to find it. There's going to be a dirt. Something's going to keep you. So several months ago, we had this hankering for chocolate cake. And we said, let's go to a restaurant and get a chocolate cake. But you know what? Something I found is you can go to Polly's. You can go to Marie Callender's, Norm's, whatever. And you can find pies galore. But you cannot find chocolate cake. Claim jumpers, okay, there you go. That mark that down. You know, you go. To, I go. To, I go to restaurants, and they have. Uh, they may have some cake, but they don't have it. We go to Vons. We go to Ralphs, and we look at those little things that they have, and they'll have eclairs and German cake and carrot cake and raisin cake, but no chocolate cake. There was few. Every time we would go, they would not serve it. Every restaurant in town, we could not find one. But now I know that claim jumpers, and it's big. All right, very good. And Costco has one as well. But in, at the time of preparing this message, I had not been to Costco, nor have I been to Claim Jumpers, two places that Dawn and I do not attend or go to. And there was few who had something close, but they were not quite the same. I remember even when we went to San Diego, there was like a chocolate cake and we go to have it, but when they give it to you, it's not exactly the same. It's either too bitter or too dry, or it's not really what I would call chocolate cake. But the more we desired it, the more hungry and desirous of one we would want. We would go to the stores and we would see that they'd have none. But we would walk down the cake mix aisle and we'd look and say, oh, look at how good that one looks and how look all that looks great. But we would never pick one up because either our oven was broken for several months or it was too hot to bake or who really wants to take the time to make one. And our hunger for chocolate is rarely satisfied because even as Halloween comes and candy comes, there's nothing like chocolate cake. Well, last week we learned that Yahweh is the true king who confronts evil, redeems his children, 
leads his people to the promised land and dwells among them. What that has to do with chocolate cake, we'll find out later. He's also a great warrior who knows the true enemy, who proves himself to be more powerful than his enemies, who's willingly fights for his people and strikes fear in the hearts of his enemy. These wonderful truths were revealed in the ministry of Jesus Christ, who rules as king and as a great warrior, who defeated Satan on our behalf, who defeated the power of death and the curse of sin on behalf of God's children. This knowledge is meant to lead his children to worship and praise him, as it did for the Hebrew children in the Song of Moses that we read of last week. But as we come to our passage today, we find things are not going so well for the Israelites. After experiencing the euphora of their miraculous redemption from Egypt, the crossing of the Red Sea and the defeat of the Egyptian army, they find themselves in dire straits, suffering from hunger, thirst, and a pending war. Amazing, though, is the faithfulness of Yahweh as he graciously provides, even as the Israelites quickly go from an attitude of worship in 15 of Exodus down to an attitude of grumbling and complaining in chapter 15, verse 22, and in 16 and 17. Our passage today, as you read through it this week, and I pray that you do, and I want to encourage you to do so each week, our passage today is full of imagery that points to Christ and identifies several themes that are woven throughout the pages of Scripture. We read of God giving laws and statues for His children to follow. We read of dire situations that will test the genuineness and the depths of their faith, which in, turn, which in turn will expose the sin of bitterness that is manifested in grumblings and complainings. But also, we're going to see an amazing picture of Yahweh's faithfulness as he graciously provides the relief they need. And this is captured in Exodus chapter 15. Look at verse 25, at the second part of that verse with me. There the Lord made for them a statue, 15 verse 25. And he tested them saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Father, we need the Lord our healer this morning. Our world is broken. Our politics are broken. Our social, social fabric is broken. Our homes, our, our lives, our hearts. We would just ask that you would come and heal us through your word this morning. I pray that you would be with me as I speak these words, Lord, that they be edifying. Let us hold out your truth compared to just my mere opinion. Give me the energy and strength to complete this message with the emphasis that it needs. And I pray that you'd open up our hearts to receive your word with gladness and joy. And also with the responsibility of the privilege it is to hear your word. That we're not here by any coincidence or accident, but this is ordained. And that you have something special for our hearts today. May we respond. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. As you read through this passage this week, or as you read through this passage this week, you might have been struck by the awful attitude of the Israelites. After miraculous demonstrations of God's great power in delivering them from Egypt, 
things now settle down to a pedestrian pace, literally as they journey walking through the wilderness towards Mount Sinai before heading towards the promised land. Israel's wilderness wanderings quickly devolve into grumbling and complaining as a lack of food and water cause rebellion and anger against both Moses and against God. The testing takes front stage in this passage. Not only will they face hunger and thirst, but also a preemptive attack by their distant cousins, the Amalekites, while Moses will be tested in his leadership skills. As we learned in our studies of the letter of James and 1 Peter earlier, testing is part and parcel of the Christian life, of the life of a child of God. Dr. John MacArthur notes that testing in Scripture (coughs) means to subject one to difficulty in order to provide the quality of someone or something. It's it's proven it just as tis so sweet to trust in Jesus to, to prove him to see if he's faithful. He's proving to see whether our faith is genuine and the depth. And as we come to Exodus, we're seeing that's what's happened with the Israelites. In this case, Yahweh desires to test the Israelites in the wilderness to prepare them for the promised land. Of course, in reading this passage this week, you discovered that Israel did not fare well in their testings. One theologian remarks that while God provides manna, quail, and water, the grumbling of the Israelites introduce a dark theme in the story. The question is, will Israel respond properly to the God who rescued them? And as you read it this past week, you see that the answer was they did not. Now their first testing comes three days after the destruction of of the Egyptian army. Look at me with Exodus chapter 15, verse 22, and we're going to do some jumping around today, so grab your Bible, but we'll be in those three chapters for the most part. In chapter 15 and verse 22 of Exodus, then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness, and they found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter, therefore it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we drink? Another testing comes 27 days later in Exodus chapter 16 in the first verse. There we see that they set out from Elam and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. In verse 3, And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you had brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. If that was not enough, in Exodus chapter 17 in the first verse, we once again see that they begin to complain. When all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and they camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? In verse 3 of chapter 17, But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Not only are their complaints filled with a whole lot of drama and hyperbole, 
saying things it was better in Egypt and are you trying to kill us? But Moses himself begins to complain and whine in Exodus chapter 17. Look at verse 4. What shall I do with this people, he asked. They're almost ready to stone me. Now, if you're like me, I want us to think before we think too harshly of the Israelites. We must first ask, are their complaints reasonable? It is true they were enslaved in Egypt, suffered hardship and the constant threat of death of their sons at birth. Yet, even at this excessive cost of suffering in Egypt, they had food, water and shelter. Now, it's not the greatest existence, but one nevertheless. Remember, their forefathers had migrated to Egypt 400 years before to escape great famine. But now here they are facing one themselves in the desert. Aren't you and I like that today? Complaining and wishing that our circumstances were like they were before in the good old days. Too many times we look back at once was forgetting how they often were. The past always looks more enticing, especially in the face of present and future uncertainty. Well, the children of Israel were no different than you and I today. Everyone needs food and water. They had abandoned all that they knew and understood for the promises of God. This is what they had asked for, prayed for, yearned for, dreamed for, for 400 years. This was the promise of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But their dreams come at a cost. We also must remember that estimates put the Israelites around 2 million people, not counting the number of the mixed people that went without them, that went with them. They also had their cattle, their sheep, and other animals to consider. And also key to remember is that when they left Egypt, they left in a hurry with no provision other than what they could carry on their baskets and what was given to them by the Egyptians. They were not able to save up, save up and buy provisions for the trip. There was no Costco. There was no uh, claim jumper or any other type of place there for them. They, yes, they had sheep and oxen, goats and other animals, but they could not kill them for food. They needed them to pull their wagons and carry their children and were meant to be used as a sacrifice for the Lord. Like today, all of these events that they faced are ordained by God. Just as God tests us today, he is testing the Israelites. He is proving them how deep and how genuine is their faith. And after delivering them from their captors, God is testing their faith once again. Now, it is easy to trust God and worship him when things go well, is it not? But it's much more difficult when things are tough. And James encourages his readers in his letter. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let the steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. However, their want, their lack of water and food, leads them to complain and grumbling against God and Moses. These three trials expose the bitterness found in their heart and shows that they doubt the goodness, love, and promises of God. I would also like you to consider one more thing that testings prove. Not only do testings prove the genuineness and depth of your faith, but please listen here. Testing trials and temptations also serve to prove the very character of God. 
not only our genuineness and depth of our faith, but it also proves the character of God. In our passage today, it demonstrates the gracious provision of Yahweh, even in the midst of their rebellion. One theologian remarks that on the journey from the Red Sea to Mount Sinai, the Israelites repeatedly reveal their lack of faith, yet God continues to show himself faithful by providing for them. In Exodus chapter 16, verse 12, if you look at that, God declares that he will provide so that they shall know that I am the Lord your God, and he's going to do so in a supernatural way. And may I add a little editorial note that's free for you is today when you are facing testing, testings and trials and temptations, those very purposes, those hardships, those sufferings are ordained in your life so that you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Now I want to share with you this morning three ways God graciously provides for his children. Three ways God graciously provides for his children. The first one is where you can go back to chapter 15 as we see that God graciously provides sustenance. I'm going to have a tough time saying that word today, but God graciously provides sustenance. Now we see that there's a problem as we look at these, at these passages. The first problem is there's no food and water. They're in the desert. They, they can't go to the store. They, they can't go to the market. And if so, they didn't have much money, so to speak, to do so. And they have 2 million plus people. Plus they got animals to feed as well. So they have all these things crying out, bellowing out, bleeding out for food and for water. But yet there is none. Now their response to this is grumbling and complaining. They don't trust that God is going to feed. They feel that God has done all that he's done, did all of these demonstrations, all of these miracles, brought them through the Red Sea just to bring them there to die. What a thought. But you know what? Sometimes we do that. Oh God, you, 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 you saved me from the foundation of the world. You regenerated my heart. You adopted me as my child. And now you're just leaving me here just to wither in my temptation and in my fight with sin. Father, you just put me in this marriage. That is just terrible. And we grumble and complain. But what we see here is also a solution. As God miraculously provides. Now let's go to the first instance. After traveling for three days, only to find their only water source too bitter. So they find water, but it's too bitter to drink. God supernaturally changes the water. Look at Exodus chapter 15. Look at verse 25. And he cried to the Lord, speaking of Moses. And the Lord showed him a log. And he picked up the log and he threw it into the water. And the water became sweet. Seems like a strange solution to me. Yet God many times answers prayer this way. Now, I'm not sure of the scientific properties of this log that turned the water drinkable, but boy, it would be profitable to be able to patent that technique. Well, obviously, God is demonstrating that throwing the, but that throwing the log into the bitter water makes it drinkable. He's not demonstrating that throwing into it, but it proves that God can provide in unthinkable ways. If you were to pick up a log just to make some branchy water clear and drinkable, it's probably not going to work but it demonstrates that God works 
in different and various ways, ways that you and I would not consider. So many times, you and I are looking for a solution for our problems, for our, for our issues, for our suffering, and we're looking for just regular ways for God to work. And hence, why many times we're trying to do it ourselves. Oh, I need to buy a self-help book. I need to do this. I need to do that. And we look for worldly advice. And, and all of a sudden, we find out that those are not working. But what you and I need is we really need a log from God who says, here, throw that in the water. Now, that's just a symbol. But we need to say, God, whatever way. Sometimes God works in the mundane, natural, normal ways of things. But many times, unbeknownst to God, or unbeknownst to us, God works in supernatural, miraculous ways that you and I could not even think of. The second instance involves hunger. 30 days after leaving Egypt, 27 days later, their food and water supply has run out. And camped in the desert, they are miles away from any market to buy food. And once again, though, we read that God graciously provides. God tells Moses in Exodus chapter 16, verse 4, The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. In the following the morning, Moses records that much to Israel's surprise, not only did they have bread, but fresh meat arrives. Look at Exodus 16, verse 13. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. They were hungry. We need, we need something to eat. And God says, well, I'm going to send you some meat and I'm going to send you some bread. Now look at it. As we come, they recede it. All of a sudden, a bunch of quail come and cover the ground. Talk about Amazon Prime drone delivery. God was test marking that concept thousands of years before. Plus, he delivered in one day. The psalmist recorded a song in remembrance of this momentous event. Turn to Psalms chapter 78, if you would. In Psalms chapter 78, the psalmist records a wonderful song to remember this event. Psalm 78, look at verse 23. The psalmist sings, Yet he, speaking of God, commanded the skies above, and he opened the doors of heaven, and he rained down on them manna to eat, and gave them grain of heaven. Man ate of the bread of the angels, and he sent them food in abundance. He caused the east wind to blow in the heavens, and by his power he let out the south wind. He rained meat on them like dust, Winged birds like the sound of the seas. And in verse 28, he let them fall in the midst of their camp all around their dwellings. And they ate and they were well filled for he gave them what they craved. Once again, graciously, supernaturally, he delivers exactly what they need. God graciously provided what they needed. Now listen to this. He provided graciously even in their rebellion. Remember, there's no sign here of any repentance. There's no sign here of them confessing their sin. But yet God still says, I'll give you. This is why I say he graciously provides. God, God here was under no compulsion other than to vindicate his own character and promises to them to provide. He could have judged them just as he did the Egyptians and he would have been righteous and just to just expel them or, or, or eliminate them right then and there, but he didn't. In love and mercy, God 
graciously provides. Interestingly, we read that God only provided what they needed for that day and that day only. He gave them precise instructions to follow. However, as those of you who read this passage, we're not going to read all of it. They did not follow through. Go back to Exodus chapter 16 and verse 4. To the second part of that verse, it reads, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out, and look at this, and gather a day's portion every day. Why? That I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. So even in the blessings, God is testing them. Which leads us to the third instance of God providing substance. He only provided what they needed for one day except for Friday. When he provided enough manna for two days. Look at verse 22. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread. Two omers each which is about 2.2 liters. Or, well, one, one omer is 2.2 liters. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, now, and the reason why they're coming is because if they were to take more than they needed or they kept it to the next day, what happened? What happened to the manna? It would rot. Yeah, it would rot. The worms and everything else would come. So for them to take two days, they've been trained. Don't take more than just one day. But all of a sudden on Friday, they find that they actually have more than enough. So they come and told Moses, hey, what are we supposed to do? Good idea, by the way. If unsure, go ask. In verse 23, Moses said to them, this is what the Lord's commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept until the morning. Now, again, they have been warned before, do not do this. But in verse 24, they, they obeyed. So they laid it aside till morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there was no worms in it. Moses said in verse 25, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath day, there will be none. So where is God graciously providing there? Well, we always saw that, of course, they failed to do is some went out on the Sabbath to collect manna. Not all followed them. They went out on the Sabbath and found none. But God responds to Exodus chapter 16. Look at verse 28. They questioned Moses, how long will we refuse to keep my commandments and laws? Again, even in God's grace and providing two days, they still are not following him fully. You see, it was God's plan to provide not only meat and bread, that they had been asking for and crying for, but also rest. Now, you and I don't usually correlate rest or a day off as a gracious gift of God. But from creation, we read that he instituted the Sabbath as a day of rest, not only from our labors, but also as a time of worship, to rest from focusing on work and collecting and gathering, but also our daily routines, but to focus on God. How often do you and I neglect this very gracious gift of God? Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. For this is found not only here, but its sister's principle is found in this teaching of Jesus. Here we find this wonderful provision of our substance today as well. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, in this passage, Jesus taught us, 
Do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? The question, of course, is yes, of course. But look at verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his life span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet, I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Jesus is speaking to a crowd who is very much like the Israel children. And as you and I read it today, we find ourselves the same much. Hey, feed me, clothe me, feed me, feed me, give me water. We want these things. We're anxious. We're working six, seven, eight days a week or so, working all these hours to, to collect, to gather, to provide. But just as God graciously provided for his children in the wilderness, so he graciously provides for his children today. God knows exactly what you need and he will provide what is needed. Maybe not what we want, but what you and I need. In return, God commands in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, our key verse at our church is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he says, all these things will be added to you. You see, the Sabbath rest is designed to do exactly that. Reflect on God, praise him for his goodness and to encourage each other. The encouragement is simple in verse 34 of Matthew 6, if you're still there. Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You and I are here this morning. One reason is not only to focus on God, but to encourage and challenge each other. Let's, let's be encouraged by God. God will provide. If you're here today and you're struggling and anxious about what you will eat, what you will drink, or what you will wear, the answer to that solution is found here among God's people. It's why we have the deacons fund, why we collect money so that we can meet each other's needs as he has called us to do and, and exampled through us through the New Testament church in Acts. God says, come together, encourage one another, focus on God. You and I need to prioritize the Sabbath day. The children of Israel did not. They were more worried about getting some more manna, getting some more quail. But God says, rest from your labors. Rest. So what will you do today? You know, we are a church that only has one service. I grew up, you know, going at least two. You go in the morning, you go in the evening. Uh, most of society, or church society was like that for a long period of time, not always. But what will you do the rest of the day? Sure, we'll take some time and watch some football. Maybe get together with the family. Take a nap. I mean, I take rest seriously when it says that. That's what it means is take a nap on Sunday. It's all part and parcel, but do you spend that day with your family reflecting on the things of God? Or do you leave here, walk away, and that's it? You've done your duty. I would challenge you, and this is something that I'm weak at myself. Take time throughout the day, through lunch. What did you learn in the message? Talk about your spouse with your spouse. Don't talk about your spouse. Talk with your spouse and your family. What did you learn? 
How are you struggling? In what way are you anxious? In what way are you grumbling and complaining? What need needs to be met? And let's see how God will deliver. And let's encourage each other through lunch and as we go through the day. Yes, take time to rest. Take time to play sub. All those things are good and, and well and should be done. But let's not forget that we're to focus on God and rest and relax knowing that God will meet our needs even if we're taking just one day off. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, Moses tells them, Remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he may humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let, your, let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know nor your fathers knew, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. And let's say by, by bread alone, man alone, by money alone. But man lives every day, or but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And let me ask you, is the Lord enough for you or do you need something more? So you need to see that you do not truly need that. Now, the fourth instance of God graciously providing sustenance is found in Exodus chapter 17, where once again they are out of water. In anger, they charged Moses in chapter 17, verse 2, to give us water to drink. Moses, in frustration, cries out to Yahweh for help. And once again, God graciously provides in a supernatural way. And as we're in Exodus chapter 17, we see that they complain and God says, take your staff and take it and hit the rock. And as he does so, water comes out to drink. What a sight that must have been. It might have also been therapeutic for, Mo for poor Moses as he finally is able to strike out and hit something. It is after this event that Moses records the bitterness and hardness of the people's heart who question, is the Lord among us or not? And I am so concerned for you, my people, that you don't have that heart or that thought or that you ever doubt if God is among us as a church or as a people or as a family or in a marriage. For the Lord is among us. Now, before we move on, to the other two ways that God graciously provided, you and I must stop here and consider their lack of trust in the goodness and the love and the promises of God. Now, you and I can be harsh when we read of their failures of their faith in God. We read quickly through Exodus, seeing all the ways that God has sustained, provided, delivered, protected them and wonder, what is wrong with these people? You know, we read it through quickly. And we, what is wrong for them? I can turn back and see all the ways that God has provided miraculously, supernaturally. Or we just finally declare, boy, I would never, ever react that way if I was one of the children of Hebrews. Well, let us remember that you and I, too, forget the many blessings of God. And that many times you and I respond negatively at times and we find our faith weak. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. First Corinthians chapter 10. Paul uses these very events to warn you and I 
about bitter heart towards our God. He says in verse 10, verse 1 of 1 Corinthians, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the crowd and they all passed through the sea and all were baptized as Moses in the cloud and the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, the rock, and that rock was Christ. But verse 5, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Verse 6, now these things took place as examples for us, that you and I, and I'm speaking of us, we may not desire evil as they did. What was the evil they desired? Food and water. That's what they desired. Well, how can food and water be evil? How can that desire? Because they used it as a way to grumble and complain against God and his servant. It's not so much the desire, but what it led them to believe about God. So let you and I take this warning to heart. God graciously provides substance to his children. And you and I should never be tempted to doubt the goodness, the love, and promises of God found in his word. I would ask you to pray that God may strengthen you in times of trials and testings. That he may give you and I a greater measure of faith. And with that, I cannot believe that I have much more to go, but our time has run out. This carefully scheduled schedule of 12 weeks of Exodus has now just gone into 13. As I am going to have to finish the next two ways that God graciously provides. Because I know that you are gracious to me, but I doubt you're going to give me another 30 minutes to share the rest of the ways. And what I have here is so important, I don't want to rush through. So I'm going to encourage you, would you join with me in reading Exodus chapter 17 and chapter 18 for next week as we look at the two other ways that God graciously provides. Now what I want to make, since I want to bring this to a close, because my closing was until later, so I'm going to have to save it, is I want to challenge you just what we had today. Are you seeking after the kingdom of God? Israel was not. They loved God for the gifts that he gave them. And when it seemed that those gifts were not there, they turned and mumbled and complained against him, rebelled. Now what scripture tells us that that grumbling and complaining was only because there was bitterness in their heart. Even as they received the gracious gift of God, they actually received it not with gratitude, but with bitterness. So let me ask you today, how is your heart this morning? If we were able to get down to the core of your hearts, if we were able to peel back the layers to test the genuineness and the depth of your faith, would we find it, if we could, with marks of bitterness? Because God has not supplied when and how and what you desire. Have you questioned is the Lord among us? Now, as I say that, I don't want to say that lightly because I know some of you have suffered immensely and you have suffered a loss that I could not understand. And maybe even today your heart is broken, your spirit is down, your pocketbook empty, and you're not even quite sure what you're going to do for tomorrow. Let me encourage you. Seek after God. He knows all that you need. 
And in his time and in his moment and in his goodness and gracious, he'll give you those things that you need. Now that may mean that you and I need to work, do the difficult work of examining our desires and the things that we want to need and see if it's truly what God would have for us. That's going to be difficult work. That's going to be difficult heart work. But let me share with you, you're not alone. As you and I wander this wilderness, as we look forward to the day that we reach heaven, as we fight sin, as we struggle with the sufferings and the testingness of our faith, I want each of you to stand before God, knowing that the genuineness of your faith is real and the depth of your faith has grown as you've been here and under our teaching. But you're not alone. We may be small in number, but I challenge you, look around. The answer to your prayer, the log that you need in your life, not in your eye, but the log in your life that needs may, may make it even sweeter, may be sitting across the aisle, maybe the person that you shake hands with, the person that you may nod to as you leave this morning. Let's remember, God graciously provides all that we need to sustain us in life. And may we glorify him, even when our sustenances does not measure up to maybe what we had before or what to others have. For God gives us what we need and only what we need that we may glorify him. Would you join with me in doing that? Would you examine your heart? And next week, we'll see the other two ways that God graciously provides for his children. Every head bowed, every eye closed, if you would, please. Thank you for listening with such attentive ears and attentive hearts. I pray that you would just take a moment to consider, to pray, and to respond to what God has called you to this morning. There is something that God wants you to do. There is a promise to claim. There is a sin that must be confessed, an attitude that must be exposed. There must be something in your life that God has for you. Maybe it's just to rejoice for what God has given. Maybe life is good and your faith is strong, but yet you never know when that next test comes. Maybe it's just, Lord, prepare me. Let me not have a heart of grumbling and complaining. Prepare me. Whatever it may do, would you take a moment now and ask for God's strength and give him praise for how he's done so up to this point. Father, you're so good to us. I thank you so much for your love for us. And Father, I know through my life there are ways that you have sustained my, uh, my family and I. And there are times that we've had want. But yet, even in our lack, we have never been without and let us see that in many ways, in hindsight, how you've blessed and how you've prepared and how you've worked. Because even our suffering, even our discomfort, even our temptation serve to, to serve others as we now bring them comfort that left us through or brought us through. Let, do the, let us do the work that you need us to do in our hearts. Father, challenge us, shake us. And I pray that you today, that we would look at the Sabbath and we would give that day for you. Even in our rest and our entertainment and our enjoyment, let us not neglect you. We praise in the name of Christ. God's people, would you join me by saying, Amen. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. 
If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.